Welcome to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. All right, you can open up your word to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in chapter number five. Chapter number five in the Gospel of Mark. Chapter number five. You know, real talk, I mean, I'm excited to be here because uh, she was talking about Mickey, Charles. And every time I mention him, man, I start to get teary-eyed because he was my father figure in the faith. He really was. I mean, I'm going to share a couple things with you guys, but I was wilding out. And I'm not talking about on the Nick Cannon show. I I really was just living a life. And then when God rocked my heart, all of a sudden, I I just needed somebody to kind of put me in the line. And and he really lived a life that truly honored God. He went home to be with the Lord, but I mean, his body was suffering through cancer, but this brother was showing up day in and day out, and he was serving God's people, loving God's people, and I couldn't figure it out. I'm like, bro, how are you doing this? And then he would share what God had done in his life, and he would not stop, even to his dying day. So if you guys are open up to the Gospel of Mark chapter number 5, like, um, they, like Pastor Stephen Porsche was saying, my name, my real name is Hector. That's what my mama named me. But I go by the name Fuego. And if you don't speak Spanish, watch Dora the Explorer or Telemundo. Listen, I just want to let you know Fuego means fire. Y'all say fire. That's right. And it don't mean that I think I'm some hot, handsome dude, even though my wife tells me every day, which I'm grateful for. I'm extremely grateful for that, right? But it comes from Jeremiah 20 and verse 9. If I said I would never mention the Lord or speak of his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. I'm growing weary trying to hold it in, and I just can't do it. So I got to tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm super grateful that God has put this desire and allowed me and my wife to come together and partner with him to build the capital C, not the little lowercase c. And Encore Church, we're so grateful for it, grateful for the name. We're grateful for the people that have been a part. We have our team that is here right now. Can you give a round of applause for the dream team? It really is. Listen, you might have a dream, but it requires a team. You might have a purpose, but it requires people. And they have been laboring with us, building God's church. We're not launching until September 19th of 2021. And we're going to be launching in the city of Alameda. And we're grateful for Steve and Portia for they've been partnering with us in prayer. And they really believe in us. And we're grateful for that. We're a church that's on mission with the purpose. And our mission is simple. We exist to lead people to live a life of freedom in Christ Jesus. And that's it. Our hearts to walk with people in all of their brokenness toward the one who can restore what they believe was impossible. Uh, uh, healing the broken marriages, guidance to blended families, freedom from addiction, and a community for people who feel like they're doing life alone. We just want to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere that we go for the glory of his name and the advancement of his kingdom. For the advancement of his kingdom. I thought it would only be right for me to set the stage with telling you guys a little bit about myself before we dive into the gospel of Mark, because I think it's going to really, it's going to be relatable. Uh, (laughs) I was not a church baby. My mom, my dad, they were not church goers. My mom actually did witchcraft. My mom, yes, she was do something with us Latinos. I'm full-blooded Puerto Rican. It's called brujeria. That's what my mom used to do. And my dad, you know, he was a a, a practicing uh, alcoholic. You know what I mean? He was drinking all the time or whatnot. And, And by the grace of God, they got saved. But me and my brothers, we didn't. My mom and my dad, they got saved, and, and that was something that they did. Me and my brothers, we were just wilding out. We did whatever we wanted to do. we go and uh, sell drugs. we go and sell guns. We, I was doing whatever I wanted to do. And really, I got caught up. We moved from New York. I'm originally from New York, born in Manhattan, raised in the Bronx. We came out to California. When we lived in Cali, I started getting immersed in more gang activity, more drug life, and doing everything that was displeasing not only to God, but to my parents, to my entire family. And one day I was actually set up to be killed in Antioch, California. They set me up, it was supposed to be a drug transaction. I forgot my my pistol and everything. I pull up to the drug spot and I have all this money and I'm supposed to pick up all this weight. And they pulled me out of my car, guns drawn. And now I'm thinking to myself, man, and they got me on on my knees and they surrounded me. 
And as they're surrounding me, this was the trip. I wasn't worried about what they were doing. I've been around that too much to worry about guns and all that stuff. I was like, nah, I wasn't worried about this. But this, this right here was the kicker. I'm kneeling down on the ground and I got a gun to my face. And yet in my mind, I said, Jesus, why'd you do this? And it was like he hit the pause button. And my mom and my dad, they was always a trip. They were those type of people that would mess up my high when I come home. Hey, I would come home and I, my mom would have be drunk and high on my pillowcase. There would be a piece of paper that would be a scripture. And it was Proverbs 14, 12. There's a path that looks right to a man, but it leads to death. And so when my mom used to put that on my pillowcase, I remembered that. I would crumple it up and throw it away. Well, this time when the gun was at my face and I'm saying, Jesus, why'd you do this to me? It was like he hit the pause button and all I could hear is there's a path that looks right to a man, but it leads to death. And so out loud, I said, Jesus. And the guy holding the gun said, don't say that name. And I'm saying, "Woo!" And I said it again, Jesus. He said, I said, don't say that name. And he pushed the gun up to my face and I'm just looking at his face. And I'm thinking like, yo, you heard that too? He tucked the gun under his waist. His homies come, they grab me, throw me in my car. Every gun that, that was out there was about nine of them. All guns put, pointed at my car. I'm driving out. They let me go. They took everything from me, everything. And I'm driving off thinking to myself, I'm smoking black and miles, just chilling, driving in my car like, yo, what just happened? The money wasn't even mine. I was supposed to make that little transaction and this money wasn't mine. And now I got to go tell these dudes about Jesus or Jesus and they going to think it's my cousin. They going to think it's my cousin. They ain't trying to hear that. They're going to they going to they going to want to shoot me. And finally, I muster up enough courage and I pull up to the place. And when I pull up to the place, they bring me inside the house. I'm sitting down. I'm sitting at the table and I told him everything that I just finished sharing with everyone. And after I was just sharing that with him, he pushed away from, uh, I pushed away from the table because I didn't know what he was going to do. And he looks at me and he's like, yo, you know what, Hector, you always been faithful to me, man. You ain't got no reason to, to tell me a lie. But look, don't ever let me catch you hustling in these streets ever again. And me, I was like, yeah, right, you lying. I push away from the table even more. I get up and I'm thinking that he's going to let me go or he's going to clap me in my back. And sure enough, I open the door, I make my way into my car. And when I get inside of my car, all I could do is think of two things. Jesus, he saved my life and Jesus paid my debt. And that's all I could think in my mind. Oh, my eyes, I'm starting to get teary eyed and, and, and I was just weeping and repenting. There was no altar call. There was no pastor, no church, no nothing. Right then and there is where I gave my heart to the Lord. And forever, the whole trajectory of my life changed forever. And ever since then, I've been saying, Lord, I do. And I'm going to make sure I live my life for the glory of your name. And that's it. You know, that decision that I made that day changed my life. And I just want to encourage somebody. I'm on mission today. And I don't know because somebody might have been having their fire put out. Somebody right now. Because we could do church really good. We do church really good. We, we could come. We come with all the nice clothes, the, the cologne, the perfume. We really could do it real well. But you know what? You go home and you ain't got that fire burning. God don't get you excited no more. Reading his word doesn't excite you no more. You forgot what he did. And so today I feel like this is my mission this morning is to help so that we would understand that we were born looking like our daddy, but we'll die looking like our decisions. And I'm hoping that today you'll make that decision to turn to God for the rest of your life and give it to him. If he was willing to die for us, then we should be willing to live for him. We should be willing to live for him. Now, if you're there in the gospel of Mark chapter five, we're going to start at verse one. And I'm reading from the NLT every once in a while, I'll switch to the FLT. That's the Fuego Living Translation. So, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes, where Jesus, he climbed out of the boat. And the man, possessed by evil spirits, he came out from the tombs to meet him. This man, he lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with chains. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as often as he was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills. 
howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still a distance away, a man, the man saw him, ran to meet him, bowed low before him, and with a shriek and a scream, he said, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus, he demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits, they begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into the pigs, the spirit begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus, he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs, they plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news, spreading the news as they ran. And people, they rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd, they soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was seated there, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened, they told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd, they began pleading with Jesus, go away. Leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home. Go home to your family. And tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. (laughs) And look at your neighbor real quick and say, is that you? And look at the other person and say, is that you? (laughs) How many parents we got in here, man? Make some noise, all the parents. Yeah. I love being a parent. I think it's okay to prank your kids, too. So... (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, I love just being a parent also because it always takes me back to the simple things that my mama used to always share with me. My mom had that simple wisdom that sometimes I didn't catch. I had to catch it when I was growing up. I was like, mama, my mama would be saying stuff like, baby, seven days without God makes one week, W-E-A-K. And I was like, mama, you can't spell, obviously. And she was telling me it just makes you weak. And I, all the whole time I'm thinking, my mom, she really needed to go to college, you know? But, but I love my mom because she's also my greatest encourager. My pops, too. They were my greatest encouragers when I was growing up as a young one. I remember when I lived in New York, they used to always have these talent shows. These talent shows all the way out in, 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 near at this public school, excuse me. And the public school was named PS96, Public School 96. That's all. It was no name, no thought put into it, y'all. That's all it was. Public School 96. They would have these talent shows. And usually little kids couldn't perform. But, you know, my brother, he helped out a little bit at the talent show. So he allowed me as a four-year-old to slide on in. And so I performed at this talent show, and the curtain was drawn, and I wanted to do Michael Jackson. Because I don't know about y'all. Do y'all have those kids in your house uh, or in your family that always perform for all the adults at birthday parties, barbecues, and all that stuff, right? That's just how we grew up. We would always do these things for our family. And uncle would come give me $5, and then later he'll steal steal it from me, like later. (laughs) Stuff like that. And so I'm, I'm, at this, I'm at this talent show, and they let me go on, and I wanted to do Michael Jackson. The curtain is, is closed, and I'm standing there ready. Y'all got my hand pointed, and I'm ready. I'm just ready. I'm just ready. I got my jacket and everything. I was ready. Then when the curtain opened up, all these people started rushing the, the stage, and I froze up like, <gasps> and I didn't move. And my brother's like, Hector, dance. Hector, dance. They close the curtain. <laughs> and my brother comes up like, yo, you're four years old. You could do whatever you want. And whatever you want, they're going to be okay with it. You don't have to worry about it. So I'm like, all right, go ahead. 
They opened up the curtain, and I started breakdancing and doing all kinds of stuff, and they loved it. And my mom was like, go ahead, baby. Go ahead, baby. Go ahead, baby. Like she was just loving every minute of it. Love, she was my greatest supporter, and I love her for that. My mom always used to say, baby, you're special. When you was born, you were born blue. I'm like, what does that even mean? She was said, I knew you was called because out of the womb, I knew that the umbilical cord was tied around your neck. So when we was trying to deliver you, you were being strangled and suffocating and you were blue. So I knew that there was a call on your life and that the enemy wanted to take you out before you could even get here. But they cut that umbilical cord, placed you in my arms. And I was like, that's how you knew, mom? She's like, no. How I knew, because you had this mark on your eye, this birthmark. And I was like, Really? She was like, yeah, it was this birthmark on your eye. I love it so much. And I was like, okay, that's how you knew. She's like, yeah, it's like God just came down and kissed your forehead and left that thing on your eye. I love it. Well, I didn't. <laughs> I sure didn't. This birthmark, just in case y'all don't know about birthmarks, it's a mark you get at birth, right? And they either stay permanently or they fade as they, you get older. And I started to think about our faith, how we could become a born-again believer and we love the Lord, and we say we permanently with you, but for some reason it starts fading as we go. You know, it, it starts fading as we go because you can grow old, but that doesn't mean you're growing up. We could come day in and day out, in and out of church, and I mean, I got to keep it 100 with y'all. That, you, can I say that? All right, I got to just keep it 100 with y'all. Like, you could come day in and day out here at the church, and I mean, if you're not applying anything, there is not going to be any change because information without application don't bring transformation. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, though, right? I mean, it, it's, it's, that, it's that simple. So, I mean, I, I see people come day in and day out, no notepad, no nothing. But yet we trying to we trying to get something just just a little man. Ooh, it felt good. And then we forget everything. And I was hoping that today you might be able to stack some wood up. You'll stack some wood up because the fire might be lit, but I want you to stack wood because when the night comes, you got to be ready. When the night comes, you got to get ready because the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord raises a standard up against it. But what standard do you live at? What standard do we live at? Is God's word the thing that is building you from the ground up? Is that, is that he your real foundation or is this something that you, you say because we can get really, really, really good at this Christian stuff? We, we get real good, y'all. Whew, telling you. Christian cliches, the T-shirts, the listen to the songs pulling up. No change. No change at all. And, you know, my birthmark that I have on my eye, I mean, you can see it now. It's a scar now because I really didn't like it. I, I was like, I took, it, I took it off. I had surgery to get it removed because I was like, no, I don't want this on my eye. I don't want to be marked by God. Because it kind of came, even before me knowing the Lord, this came with a consequence. People would spot me out. Literally, I had a spot on my eye. So they spot me out like a Dalmatian, like, bro, we're going to make fun of him. And so me, I had to have enough arsenal to be able to fire back. I had to have enough arsenal. Oh, hold on, hold on. You, you go. I was watching Def Comedy Jam and all these other stuff that you ain't supposed to be watching. Because so, I have older brothers. I have older brothers. So they would try to fire back at me all the time. So I was like, hold on, I'm the little one. So you know I'm going to have an arsenal for you. It was like in our household, it was like a game of rampage. We're all trying to break down each other's house first to see who wins. And that's what we would do. That's what we would do. I mean, that birthmark that I had, it just, I was ashamed of it. I really was. Even if I was marked, I was just ashamed of it. So I tried to hide it. I put a hat over it. You know, we can get real good with hiding stuff. You get real good at hiding stuff. I'm just saying, like, I had a hat for so long, people didn't even know. They just thought that was swaggy. Put it over my eye, like, ooh, that's a nice hat. I'm like, yep, because you can't see really what I'm hiding. I mean, I could have, I could have all my life. I'm talking about I was, I was popular in school. I was in the yearbooks for best dress. I was all these things, all the accolades, great at football, was being scouted by my colleges, all these things. But you know what? I still was ashamed. I, I hit it all the time. Hit it under my helmet, put a do-rag on so people can't see it. I didn't want nobody to really see that I was marked with something. I didn't want them to. To know that I felt uh, alone or I felt uh, ashamed. 
Ashamed. I mean, I guess bring it back to Mark chapter 5. I think about it a lot because we always see that the demons, yeah, they fled from him. He was legions of demons. But I was looking at it from a perspective of him being alone. Could you imagine this, this man was, was possessed with demons, but he had a family. We, we just read it. Jesus said, no, go home to your family. So how long was he demon-possessed? How long? And, and, and in this text, the people, they were telling Jesus to leave. Why? Because they wanted to hold on to their possessions, and they didn't want Jesus. See, because the pigs, I mean, all got off the edge. They all went off the edge, and they were mad. And I thought at first, like, oh, they was heated because they was about to have a barbecue. <laughs> they was about to be eating them ribs. They was about to go in. They were about to have a barbecue. That's what I was thinking. But then, now when they wanted them to leave, it was solely because they wanted their possessions more than they wanted material rather than the spiritual thing. They were rather wanting to hold on to these possessions rather than see somebody set free. Rather than seeing somebody set free. It was, but I mean, shame could, could do that. I mean, we probably got that family member we ashamed of. You got a family member that you're ashamed of, you know, the one you don't mention at the house. It's kind of like an unwritten rule. You don't mention them very much. Just, just nobody even mentioned that person's name because you were ashamed of them. I remember walking into a store one day and I was grabbing something for my kids. And right outside the door, this guy was like, hey, can I get some money for some alcohol? And I mean, he was honest, but I didn't give it to him. But what I did do, I looked at him and I said, hey, bro, is that you? Because I mentioned his name because I recognized him. It was a friend of mine's father. And I said, is that you? And he's, he was like, no, no. And then I started walking away and then he yells my name, Hector. And I turned around and I said, bro, I knew that was you. It was shame. Shame. I mean, his family knows about what's happening with him, but nobody cares for him. Nobody is. Nobody is coming to get him. Nobody is trying to take care of him. Nobody is trying to deal with whatever he's dealing with. It's too messy. It's too much of a sacrifice. But that's family, though. But it's too much of a sacrifice. I mean, I can understand, I can understand about shame. To shame comes in many different levels. Levels. I mean, what if you have an autistic kid? I mean, that's, that's kind of hard, you know? You have an autistic kid, and there's you, you and your wife are partnering together, doing your best to try to raise this. But, but, but can you be honest? I mean, sometimes you're, you're in these circles, and you feel like you can't do everything that they do because you got to take care of the, of the little one. And sometimes you even feel ashamed as though this is your fault. And so you live with that shame. You're trying to help them. And sometimes you can even get envious because you want to do what they want what they're doing, but you can't. And so it's, it's shame. Maybe there might be somebody, uh, a young lady in here tonight, that's, uh, this morning, excuse me, a young lady in here might be in a place where you're saying, hey, I should have listened to my parents. Now I'm in an abusive relationship and I'm too ashamed to call my mom and let her know or my dad to let her know because all the bruises that are on my body, I don't want them to know that they were right, and my pride doesn't want me to step across and pick up the phone and call somebody for help. Now, I was thinking about the man at, at, this, at this burial site. I mean, every night he's waking up and he's seeing these tombstones. Could you imagine you wake up and you see these tombstones? That's where a lot of dreams never came alive. And you're remember, reminded that these dreams, I had dreams once. I did. But now they're dead and my family wishes I was dead. So what do I do? What, 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 what do I do with this shame? And I can relate with it fully because the shame that I had of covering my eyebrow, I was like, man, I want to hide it from everybody as long as I possibly could. Then I, be, I got saved and I was still hiding it. <laughs> my first rap album, I still was covering it because I was ashamed. I didn't want people to really know me, but I was talking to people about being free. And yet I was bound up. I was like, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Say it with me, y'all. 
And I go home shackled, afraid of being open and vulnerable, knowing that somebody, if I was just to take the step in the right direction of obedience towards God, I would help somebody to be set free. I really would help somebody to be set free. But I'm glad somebody did that in my life. And this is young lady, she actually came up to me and she was like, hey, Pastor Fuego, can you, can I ask you something? Can you come with me to the daddy-daughter dinner dance? And I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. And she was like, you know, I, I don't have my dad. And I look to you as, as the dad, as a father figure. And I was like, wow, that was great. I, I gave her a hug. I was like, man, this is, that's cool. But you know what? I went home. I was still wearing my hat over my eye. And I was just thinking to myself, wait a minute. She doesn't even know what I look like with my hat off. What if I show up to this place and I embarrass her? People will start making fun of me, and so they make fun of her. And now she's hurt because she doesn't even have her dad, and now they're looking at me like I'm her dad. And so, oh, man, I, I don't want her to be hurt. I shouldn't even go. So I called. I said, hey, can I meet you and, and, and your mom, and, and I'll get another pastor, and we'll talk. Oh, yeah, 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 it's cool. And so we're in there in that meeting, and it was the greatest thing that happened. I, I had my hat on, thinking I'm cool and I'm not. I had my hat on, and I, I told him, I said, hey, I just wanted to bring you here because I wanted to share something with you guys because I don't think I was being fully vulnerable with you. You were vulnerable, vulnerable with me because, you know, you asked me to come with you for this daddy-daughter thing, and I felt like I didn't want you to be embarrassing me. And they were like, what is it, Pastor Fuego? And I took my hat off, and they were like, so what is it? And I was like, what you mean? You don't see my eyebrow? Like I could be an emoji. Look, you see? You feel me? Like I could have my own emoji. But look. <laughs> Some of y'all laughing a little too hard. No, I'm just fine. <laughs> and she was like, that, your birthmark, I think that that's wonderful. That's not going to stop anything. What else are we here for? And I was like, nothing, that's all I wanted to say. But this young lady's love for God and love towards me broke my fear. Broke it. I, after that day, never had to wear it again. I went there. I was holding my head down. I had my head down. She was like, Pastor Fuego, look up. I was like, okay, okay. And we'd be dancing and everything. But it was the most joyful feeling to have somebody celebrate you for being you and being grateful that you was here with them. And so I was set free that day. And so I know what shame could do, but I also know what freedom can do. And so that's why I'm hoping that today to accomplish those things of what you can give up. How you can give up. How you can give up. Have y'all ever seen that movie called 127 Hours? 127 Hours is pretty cool. I mean, make sure you get your parents' approval and stuff like that. But... It's a, it's a man who, who goes on this hike, and he's an adventurer, and he falls down, and he falls into this hole, and his arm gets caught between a boulder. He's there for five days and has to make a decision to cut his arm off with his keys because he's about to die. And it's, I mean, it's based off a true story. I mean, if you watch it in reverse, it's pretty cool. So a guy goes on a hike, he, he finds his arm, and he lives happily ever after. That's in reverse, though. You feel me? But, when, but that's what he did. He cut his arm off with his keys, y'all, to get free. He was on the interview. This is what I brought, why I brought it up, because he was on the interview, and they asked him, they said, hey, weren't you afraid of this, this, and this? And they were like, yeah, I was. I was afraid I was going to die. I mean, yeah, I, I, was, I was afraid, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to cut off my arm. But what I was mostly afraid of is that I wouldn't be free. And that just resonated with me. What? What desperation, uh, what, what hunger are we willing to go through to get free? Like what tenacity? I mean that to cut your arm off with a key and go. And where God is not asking you to do any of those things. He's just asking you to let go of those pigs, let them go over the cliff. And trust me, and trust me, let it go. You know, I also think that... Letting it go, I'm, I'm being completely honest, you know, I got a 17-year-old son, and he's graduated high school, and when he was getting closer to that stage, I was getting a little bit more attached. He probably doesn't know these things, but 
my wife does. And I would get a little bit more attached, like, hold on, man, like, I don't want you to go this way. I don't want you to. And, and I started to, to get kind of fearful a little bit, just being honest. I was a little bit of afraid, like, no, nah, I don't want to do this. I don't, I don't want my baby boy. This is my firstborn. He's going to go. And God really checked me because he was saying, listen, are you not discipling your son? And I started thinking, like, man. Because you know how we can get real protective. We want to we be at everything. We want to say, who's your friend? Who, who's this? And, and I'm going to go over there. And wait, wait, hold on. No, I don't know if you can go. Like, like you could start being like that, right? And, and I started to think to myself, I was like, Lord, why am I being like this? I know everything's shifting and moving. And the Lord really checked me. It's like, you better disciple your baby boy. You better disciple your son. You're called to make disciples. And, and of course, you know, we would crack open the word, but spending more time in the word, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to raise war in the spirit, teaching them these things so that they will have a firm foundation. Because when daddy is gone, just like when Mickey, when he was gone, I had a foundation. He wasn't teaching me to cling to him. He was teaching me to cling to him. And so I'm just hoping that as parents that we would kind of let those things be brought to God. You know what I'm saying? I, I know it's hard. I, I, could, I could kind of feel it. Somebody's kind of like, that's my baby. That's my baby. I ain't finna just let him go like that. But there's great things that happen when you do trust God. You know, they didn't want to let go. They, they wanted God to go, and they wanted to hold on to their material things and say, forget, forget saving this soul. And I just hope that us as believers, that we wouldn't have a lifestyle that's like that, that we wouldn't have that lifestyle that's like that. I'm going to share with you guys um, a story because, you know, as, as pastors, we gather these stories when we meet different people. But this one in particular, it just resonated with me so much. Uh, this gentleman, he's not here today with our team, but uh, he went to go visit some of his family over the weekend. But his name is Sean. And, and I love this brother so much. I met him and James um, together at the Navy base. And so when I, when I arrived and, and came to the Navy base, they were out there lifting weights and they had their Mustangs pulled up. I was like, these dudes look like they are grimy. I love it. Let's go. How y'all doing? Just wanted to talk with them. And uh, when I approached them, they, God had already been speaking with them. Man, you know what? This is a blessing. God had been speaking to me already. I, this is my first time getting back into the Word for a couple weeks. And, and now as a pastor coming my way, this is awesome. Give me your card. Now we exchanged numbers and started to see God immediately start to work in their life. And not just only immediately work in their life, but they started to be obedient. Obedient, calling me like, man, I just finished praying for so-and-so and praying for this one. Praying for, and I loved it. I was like, man, that's awesome. But one thing that I really love, one day uh, we were taking tithes and offerings. And Sean comes up to me and he was like, yo, Pastor Fuego, come here real quick. And I was like, okay, we good? <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he hands me this, this bag of coins. I still ain't cashing in. And I hope the Lord don't get me. I just thought that this was just a reminder. But he came with this bag of coins. And he was like, hey, man, this is all I got, but I want to give it to you. I mean, you, to me, I mean, we're church planting, so we ain't got much. And so, I mean, when this brother came with everything, he was like, bro, this is all I got, all I got. I immediately started to think of Mark 12 when the lady with the two coins, and she came, and Jesus is sitting right there making sure everybody's paying their tithes, and everybody's giving money. And they give him money, and then this lady comes with the two coins, and he says, she has given everything she has to live on. My brother came and gave me everything that he has to live on, a giver. And so for me, I, I, just, I just started to see these things because he was not willing to hold on to anything to stop what God can set him free from in his life. He didn't let anything get in his way. And I mind you, I, I know right now I've, I've been at the bottom. And so I know it's when you ain't got nothing, we can say we can give because we ain't got nothing. But what about right now when you got all these pigs, right? Let's, let's pretend. Because back then that was, their, that was their money, was all the pigs. But you got all of this and God is telling you, will you give that up? 
And we like, nah, nah, I'm going to hold on to this. I don't want to give it up. Would you? Would you? Would you give it up? Nah, I don't want to. And, and I think it's just because the, the sacrifice is, is kind of tough, right? The sacrifice we got to make. I mean, if his family did come and see him, they got to bring him now to the house. He got legions of demons. So I could put it into perspective, right? Because, yeah, he does. Legion of demons, if y'all don't know, the Roman soldiers, they would have these sections and they would call them legion. And there was three to 6,000 men. So that's how many demons were inside this dude. So one, none of us probably have him at the house. Like, yo, come on, eat. Come and grab a plate. Right? But, I mean, I, I, I've been here to the encounter before. And I heard a man named Isaiah, man, and he was teaching us about deliverance. I heard what it takes to get to that level, the sacrifice it takes, missing a meal or two or three. How hungry are you to get free? How hungry? Because that's why I'm just wondering, because when I'm when I, when I'm here and I'm and I'm speaking and, and when somebody else is even speaking, I mean, I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm like, man, OK, I'm gonna apply that. I'm gonna apply that because everything I could get. To get better, I need it for my life. I need it for my life, because some of us right now will probably clock down, and say, you know what, I'm gonna go to this other sermon because, you know what, I like that one a lot better. But you haven't even applied the last three. And so I'm just wondering. Are we, are we really growing older or are we growing up? Like, what, what, are we, what are we doing as believers? Did we forget what we ought to be doing? I, I, like I said, I love the stories that I always hear from the people that come and give their hearts to the Lord because this story has never left me. It's rocked me forever. And it's a, it's a lady who actually worked at a high school cafeteria. She worked in this high school ta- cafeteria, the same cafeteria her son went to school at. And she's, the, she's in the back. That's where she works at, so nobody ever sees her. But this one particular day, she was off school. She was off work, and her son was getting ready to go to school. And when he's going to school, he's like, all right, Mom, I'm out. And so she, he runs out of the door, leaves his bag lunch on the, on, the, on the table. And his mom comes out fixing her earrings. She's like, oh, this boy done left his lunch again. So she's like, okay, I'll bring it to her. And I'll bring it to her. I'll bring it to him in the, in, at lunch. And so... She gets ready. She's almost lunchtime. She brings it down to the cafeteria. She comes to the cafeteria. She walks in. She sees her son. Hey, son, I got your lunch. And everybody in the cafeteria starts laughing at this lady. Wow, that's your mom. Oh, she's ugly. That's your mom. And I forgot to tell you that this lady has one eye. This lady got one eye. And her son grabs that lunch and runs out of the cafeteria. And the mom sits there sad with her head low. Everybody in the cafeteria throwing food at her. She starts walking out. She goes home, waits for her son to come home. The door jiggles. She gets up. He comes in the door. and She's like, son, I just wanted to apologize. I didn't mean to do that. He was like, mom, get away from me. I can't believe you did that to me. You embarrassed me. I can't wait to get older, graduate, and move as far away from you as possible. Now I'm Latino. If I said that to my mom, I would have probably been buried right there. You know what I mean? But this is a true story, though. And so he, he, he goes to his room, slams the door, and you know what? He starts growing up, and, and he does just that. He graduates high school, goes to college, goes real far, goes all the way, moves as far away from his mom, graduates high school, gets his degree, gets married, all these things, has kids, and is far away from his mom. Years have passed, and now his, his mom his mom is like, you know what? I got to see my baby. He got grand. I know I got grandbabies. I'm going to go and see him. I'm just going to go. She gets in her car, fixes up, puts her best dress on, drives down there. And when she drives down there, she knocks on the door, drove hours. And her grandbaby opens the door and says, ah, and slams the door and runs and says, it's a monster. And she goes and grabs her daddy's leg. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he comes to the door, opens it, he sees that it's his mom, and he's like, oh, you're right. It is a monster. So she lowers her head, and she walks, and she goes to her car, drives home. And as she's driving home, I could just imagine her thoughts. 
But a couple years pass now, and he gets a letter in the mail because he has his high school reunion. And you know now, he's like, oh, I remember they used to make fun of me all the time. But now, I'm going I'm to I'm make them feel silly for what they said about me when I was in high school because of what I have. And he says, since I, since I am in the town where I went to high school, I might as well stop by since this is my mom. So he drives, and he pulls up. And he looks at the door and he parks the car and he sees on the door that there's a a letter. He's like, did my mom get evicted? Hold on. He gets out of the car and he walks up there. He walks down the door and he sees that on the door, that letter has his name on it. He's like, what? So he goes and he grabs the letter and he opens the envelope and he unfolds the letter. And the letter, it reads, it says, son, if you're reading this letter, I have gone home to see the Lord. I want to let you know that from the time that you were born, I promised the Lord that I would always protect you. I would always be there for you, provide for you. I will always give you everything that you ever need and desired. I would do whatever it took to sacrifice in my life to give to you. When you were first born, I had, you only had one eye and I had the doctor remove mine and give it to you so that you would not have to go through all of the pain, the ridicule, the judgment, being laughed at. I did that for you. Now that, that sacrifice sounds like the God I serve. And when I, when I talk about this story, every time it draws me to tears because what he did for me was real. And the sacrifice that he did for us, he went through that pain for us. Now, can I ask if he did that to set us free? Why can't we help somebody out of that's walking in their grave tombs, shackling themselves up, cutting themselves with sharp stones and running around howling at the moon? Everything is going crazy in their life. Why wouldn't we be able to sacrifice some things in our life for the sake of them? Why couldn't we sacrifice a meal? so that we can, we can have deliverance be done in somebody's life so that they could be set free. Do, they, do you, you have to go after souls? Like, you can't picture heaven without them. Is there somebody in your family right now that you are at odds with? Is it, is it worth it? Do you know what eternity away from God is? Is, is your family member worth it? Your coworker worth it? Your brother in Christ and your brother and your sister in Christ, are they worth it? Because it is a sacrifice. You are going to miss some sleep. You're going to miss a meal. You know what? It's going to interrupt your day. It's, things aren't going to be as fluffy in your house all the time. But are you willing to go through that for the sake of somebody's soul, for somebody's family? That was somebody's family. And he was willing to go with Jesus like, nah, man. And he was probably living with shame. Even when asking Jesus, let me go with you. And he said, no, go home. Because you know what? The way that he was demon possessed, he was probably over here wilding out and doing things to his family. And so going back and having to face that, even though I have a a different heart, they might not believe me. I'm I'm, I'm here as living proof that my mom, if my mom would have quit contending for me in prayer, I wouldn't be here. If my dad would have stopped contending for me in prayer, I wouldn't be. If they would have stopped putting scriptures on my bed, I would have never been here. If they would have stopped putting worship music in my house, in in the house that they owned, and I'm coming in, if they would have never stopped, I don't know where I would be. Is it worth it? Because to me, it is. You, you're going to have to make that sacrifice. You're going you're gonna to have to pick up that phone. You're going to have to make that trip. You're going to have to suffer a, a, a time where they might reject you. I remember I ran into somebody who I robbed, and I seen him at the grocery store. And God, he, he did something to my heart so much, I wanted him to know the love of God. And I saw him, and I was like, man. And God was like, go and ask for forgiveness. 
So in the grocery market, I'm going up to him, hey, man, I just want to tell you, please forgive me. What I was doing was wrong. I didn't mean it. I was not in the right headspace. And you know what he did? He slapped my hands away. And he told me, get out of my face. He had the right, right? I mean, I, I, I robbed him and I took things from him and I hurt him. And so for me, it wasn't to, to be right with him or try to feel good about myself. It was to be obedient to God. Will I go if he said it? Because you really don't even know what's going to happen. I just had an encounter with somebody at 24-Hour Fitness who I used to run and sell drugs with all the time. And I seen him. He was like, yo, you going in to play hoop? He was leaving. And I was like, yeah, I'm going in. And we went in there. We played basketball together. And the whole time while we were on the sideline before we started, I'm ministering the gospel, telling them things that God had done for my life. I'm just telling them all about the Lord. And he was like, man, bro, you seem to be excited about something. And I was like, yeah, I'm excited, bro. I was like, bro, we were taking people's lives. We weren't giving life. I wasn't even living, bro. I was like, man, when we were together, you know we weren't living right. And he's like, I know. But I started to share with him. And as I shared with him, something happened within him. Was able to see him this Saturday. And I told him, I was like, look, bro, I'm not into this bippity-boppity-boo. You just say this prayer and your head going to shrink and you're going to all of a sudden, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, because I don't mind those things. I don't mind that helping them and leading them in prayer, but I want them to come from a transformed heart. And so I told him, I said, bro, I'm going to have to tell you something, bro. You're going to need to count the cost. What do you mean by that? I said, well, <laughs> the Bible says no man starts to build something unless he counts the cost. Right? Because you don't want to just start building and it's not complete. So I said, for you, you got to understand what you're coming into. God is, when you serve him, it's a paradox. He tells you the way up is down. He tells you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That ain't what we grew up in, bro. We grew up with, you know, we kill everybody. We only love those who agree with us. And when they disagree, we destroy. That's how we grew up. And so I said, bro, I don't want you to come in here thinking like it's finna be a Cinderella moment. This ain't that. I said, this is where people don't sit on the bench. We soldiers, we stand. We are serving God. So I said, bro, please understand what you're, what you're about to commit to. Because I know right now you're crying and you want the best for your kids and you want the best for And I said, bro, but let me tell you this. Let me tell you, this is not for the faint at heart. If you thought what we were doing, banging on the block, bro, this right here is even harder. This will kill your flesh daily. You die daily. You die daily. Every day you want to do what you want to do. And God is saying, nope, you go this way and you die daily to that. And it gives you the greatest joy to serve the king and see somebody set free. And you know what? After that victory, there's another battle. And another victory and another battle. That's what has to happen. That's why I had, to, I had to tell him, I said, bro, please understand what I'm saying. It is the greatest joy to serve God. But this is not for weak people. So don't just say it because you want your life to be better. You think Jesus is finna just take, take the wheel and drive you to the bank. He don't do that. He didn't do that with me. I remember one time I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I, I have my rent that I have to pay. And, uh, you know, my check, my money was funny and my change was strange. I don't know really what to do. And God did something paradox. He said, give away all of your Jordans. Listen, I need money. He said, give it away. He didn't say sell them. He didn't say go and put them on goat, grill, whatever. He didn't say do none of that. He said, give them away. And I said, you are lie, Satan. And so, so, when he, when, he was, when he was saying, when he said that to me, I said, okay, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'll be obedient. You've done crazier things with my life. I'm going to trust you. And when I did so, I brought them all out on, the, on, the, on like a display out in the corner on A Street and Royal. I was out there and I said, free shoes. And people swooped on them like the locusts. I was like, where did y'all come from? They were just woo, 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 woo. They were taking them. If it wasn't their size, they didn't care. They were just putting them on. And I was out there praying for people, and people was getting healed. 
And that's why I was like, man, this is crazy. But then I went home with no money, same issue. And I'm like, I felt like Peter, when he had to talk to Jesus, like, come over here. Don't be talking about you're going to die. Come here. Did you say you're going to die? Don't talk like that. I felt like you ever do that? You ever go into your prayer closet and you ain't finna pray, you finna talk to him? Like, we finna talk, bro. Like, <laughs> you, I don't told I don't ask you four times, four, four times. I don't ask you a couple. And so I had to ask. I said, Lord, what's good? Like, what, what happened? And of course, he, he takes care of me. He took care of me at rent and everything was paid. But also he blessed us when somebody called us and said, hey, Fuego, I want you all to come and see and come check out this house that we got. And I said, really? Yeah, man, I want you and your family to move in. I said, listen, bro, before you start having these ideas, I can't pay mortgage that high, bro. And he's like, man, just come check it out. All right, I'll come and check it out. I go to the place, and when I go to the house, bring my kids in there, it was a seven-bedroom, four-bathroom uh, four house. And he was like, bro, you just give me 800 a, 800 a month, and we're good. And I'll send people over here to help you cook for two weeks. Is that cool? I said, bro, <laughs> is the Wi-Fi good? No. <laughs> is the Wi-Fi good? I mean, but that's what God did. And I mean, the house was so big, my kids had testified to it that they was afraid to play hide and go seek for a little while. But, but I didn't just use that for selfish gain, though. Every door, I opened it up, and I brought a man that needed a place to stay, that needed a father figure, that needed guidance, that, that needed a place where they can have somebody give them some Bible studies and, word, and pray for them. And, and take them to church. And if they didn't know how to fill out an application, we did it together. If they needed a ride, we would give them a ride. It, it did, we filled up every room in that house. And for the glory of God, that house is still up to this very day. I mean, we don't live there no more because I got a, I got a wife now. I got a wife. We can't just stay there with all these dudes. My wife, she needs her freedom. But that house is still running to this day. But it took sacrifice because I could go after story after story after story of, of, in that house, and it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. When you're discipling people, you're bringing legions of demons inside. But you have to be able to sacrifice meals. you got to sacrifice waking up early in the morning to dive into the Word so you could cover your wife, your kids, your house with prayer. It's a little bit of a, it's, it's not a little bit, it's a lot of bit of a sacrifice. But what he did, he sacrificed for us. He did. He, he did it for us. I'll, I'll, I'm going to end with this. Uh, there was this um, story, one of my mentors, he told me, he said, you know, uh, Fuego, there was this house that caught on fire. And the whole family, they got out. The whole house was on fire. The, smoke, the fire and the smoke was just billowing up out of the house. And then the family was sitting outside and they couldn't find their daughter. They're like, where's my daughter? And she was actually on top of the roof. And, and she was yelling, dad, dad. And he was like, sweetheart, I'm there. I, I see you. He was like, dad, dad. He was like, sweetheart, I see you. Won't you jump? I'm right here. Jump. And she's like, no, dad, I can't see you. And he's like, me, I, I need you to jump. I need you to jump. I can see you. And that's what faith looks like. Our life is burning up. This world is burning up. God is asking us to leap. You can't see him, but he can see you. Today, I guess my, my only two things is that I want to leave you with is to let, it, let go of it. It might be you be cussing sometimes. I'm a Christian, but I cuss. You ever heard that? It's the craziest thing to me. God, it's like saying, God touched me, but my life's still the same. It might be these little things. You know, uh, I saw um, this gentleman. I, I, I love him very much. He's, uh, he's a pastor. His name is Pastor Mike. You guys probably know him, Pastor Michael Todd. He did something that was actually um, very encouraging, and I did this the other day. And this right here is your list. And when I saw him do this, 
I, I actually wrote down everything in my life that the plans that I have for my life, but I feel like God is the one that did it, but really it wasn't. It was my own plan. And so I wrote everything down on my list. I wrote everything down. I know it's plain because y'all nosy and I didn't want y'all. No, I'm just kidding. Got the, some of y'all got the gift of suspicion on you. No, I'm just playing. But, but what, I, what I did do is I wrote every single thing on this that I had planned for my life. And then when I got that list, I just took it and I ripped it in half. And I just left it. And I said, God, these are my plans for my life. But I want yours. I do have de- desires. You said if I delight in the Lord, you'll give me your heart's desire. But, but, but I want your heart's desires. So can you help me with that? And so for some of y'all, this might be a little prophetic for you because you need to write these things down and say, Lord, have I been putting my plan above yours? Have I been putting my own plan above what you have for me? Because I have an idea, but it's tainted with mine. And so I just want to encourage you to let those things go. And the second thing is your list. Write it out. Tear it up. But before you tear it up, you give it to God. You say, Lord, these are my plans. But ultimately, I want your plan for my life to be fulfilled. That's it. Yeah. So when you tear that, when you tear it, tear that piece of paper up, immediately get into prayer and just say, Lord, I thank you. For whatever's coming my way, I can see to the corner, you see around it. Help me. Let me just pray for some of you guys tonight. As, as today, I keep saying tonight. I guess it's just, it's just a cool thing to say. Right? Just, let me pray for you on tonight. Let me pray. Spirit of the living God, I thank you. You are faithful. I never thought in a million years that I'd be standing here ever opening up your word. But I thank you. I thank you for it. Every single heartache and pain that I've ever been through in my life had a purpose to it. Those that are here today, Lord, they they have desires, they have plans, they have a schedule. So do I. But right now we surrender it to you. We, sh- we write them down, we rip it up and just say, Lord, we want your plan for our life, not our own. Help us with those, ish- with those areas of our life that we're ashamed with. Those areas of shame that we hide from everybody, but we haven't told you or someone that is our pastor discipling us that we trust that speaks into our life that not only just encourages us but challenges us. Lord, I pray for a family right now that might have to make this tough decision to forgive somebody. Because Lord, sometimes the offenses, they're horrific. Only you know. But, Lord, you have given them the strength to do so. So help them as they take these bold steps in obedience towards you and towards what pleases you. Father, I I pray for Pastor Portia, Stephen. Pray for their marriage that you would continue to bind them in cords of love that are unbreakable. that sometimes, Lord, it gets hard in life, period. And you tell us as your people, you say, don't be surprised that these fiery trials you're going through as though something strange were happening. You cover us, you give us everything that we need. And Lord, we actually have more in us than we think. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would help us today as we take those bold steps and that you would 
give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Since right now, Lord, that there's reconciliation happening in the homes of every individual that is here. That no one would try to win arguments, but they would win souls. That we wouldn't be a people that is known for debating, but be a people known by your love for one another. Your word tells us, how could we say we love a God that we cannot see if we don't love those we can? So, Father, if that is your word that never returns void, but goes and accomplishes what it's sent forth to do, then, Father, we're just asking that you would give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom to have these tough conversations. And, Lord, we would not need the comforter if we were comfortable, and now you're asking us to step into the uncomfortable. But you are the one that will guide us into all truth, and you also will be our comforter. So, Father, be with my brother and my sister, because right now they're thinking of the people they need to reach out to, the people that they need to talk to, the forgiveness they need to ask of people that they have hurt. So, Lord, as they make that, take that step in obedience, be with us. And let them see immediate fruit in their lives, though. They're not just doing it right now for this time. They're doing it for the generations that are coming up behind them. They're doing it for their, their nephews, their nieces. They're doing it for their grandchildren that are not even here yet. That's what they're doing it for. It's a sacrifice that they're making now for fruit later. No one plants a seed, Lord God, in one day and gets a tree. So help us to understand, Lord God, we plant, we water, we grow deep. And we'll bear fruit in this season. The book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, 28 seasons is what Solomon mentioned. Time to throw stones, time to gather them. But one season that he never mentions is a time to quit. Galatians 6 and 9 tells us, Lord, that for us not to grow weary and well-doing for in due season, we'll reap a harvest of blessing. But it says if we don't quit. So to somebody today, Lord, they wanted to throw in the towel. But I pray instead of throwing it in, they would just raise it above their head as a sign of surrender to say, Lord, I surrender my will. I choose your will over mine. And as my brother and my sister are walking through this garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> and they're kneeling and saying, Lord, if this cup could pass, but they would say, nevertheless, not my will, your will. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, Fuego. I want... I want your congregation to come up here. Can everybody who came to this great church that's starting, can you guys come up here really quick? Just come to the front so everybody can see you, who they're giving to. This next offering we're giving to this congregation, we're giving to our, our brother that's starting this church and, you know, was really needed. But I just want you guys just to stand up here because I, I wanna, we want to pray for you. Encounter Church wants to pray for you and see. I mean, come on, give them a hand. It's a lot. You know, you know, it's something because starting a church is a hard work. <laughs> starting a church is very, very hard work. And, and uh, your pastors is going to need you. They're going to need committed people. They're going to need people that's, that, that'll grab a broom, not even without asking, without asking. They're going to need you to, to serve. They're going to not, not say, what can I do? I mean, just see the need and do it. And this, in this next few years, you guys are building. And so we just want to pray for you. We just want to bless you. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord God. Encore Church. 
Just raise up your hands. Raise up your hands right now. Father, we thank you, God, that you have called these, Lord God, to serve, Lord God, our brother, to lay their life down for each other. Father, you've called, Lord God, uh, Fuego and his wife, Lord Jesus, just to lay there like Tiffany. Father, we thank you. I just thank you for Tiffany. Father, I thank you for a boldness coming upon her, Lord God, in the days ahead. Father God, I thank you, Lord God, that she will not compare herself to anyone else, but God, that you will use her for your glory, Lord God. I declare it in the spirit. Father, I thank you, God, that demons will flee, Lord God, that the fire of your presence would be with my brother Fuego, Lord God, in his congregation. And Father, we pray for blessing, Lord God. We pray for anointing. Father, we pray that you will supply all of their needs, even more than they can ask or think, Lord God. Father, we pray for tithing millionaires to come to them, Lord God. Father, we pray, Lord God, that they would see the need, Lord God, and that they would give. Father, we thank you for raising up in the city of Alameda, Lord God, the fire, Lord God, starters, for spark starters, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, that they will not be discouraged, and Father God, they will not be weary in well-doing, but God, I thank you, God, that they will reap if they will not faint. And Father, let them be an encouragement to their pastors. Let them not, Lord God, uh, talk against their pastors in any way, but God, let them be an encouragement to them. Let them lift up their hands when they are weak. And Father, we pray, Lord God, for strength. So on high strength to come, Lord. Release now warring angels to fight for your vision, God. To fight for your vision. God, is your vision that you've given this man and woman of God. And so, Father God, we declare and we decree and we call it done, Lord God. God, that that house will rise up in the city of Alameda. And Father, people will be set free, delivered, and they will know the name of Jesus. Father, we declare it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit EncounterJesus.us or search for Encounter Church San Leandro in your app store.